What's up, everyone? Welcome to BCL Coast to Coast, the official podcast of the Basketball Champions League. My name is Austin Green. Joining me as he does every week over in Germany is David Hein. Dave, how's it going this week? Uh, are we missing something here? Seems like kind of uh, nervous. Yeah, I should be watching games right now. Uh, it was a, it was a, it was a strange week not watching any uh, cha- basketball Champions League games, but it was also good to 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 sort of um, recharge the batteries. And we have uh, some great uh, um, FIBA Basketball World Cup qualifiers going on right now. So uh, that that'll definitely uh, that'll definitely give us our our fix for basketball. But uh, it was an interesting week to say the to say the least. Yeah, yeah, I missed having some games on uh, on the computer streaming, but um, like you said, it's nice to have a little bit of a break from the BCL. It's kind of chaotic with 16 games every week. Uh, it's nice to recharge a little bit with these FIBA windows, and yeah, I'm excited to see how some of these BCL players do with their national teams. You can watch all of the FIBA World Cup qualifying games on live basketball TV, so make sure you subscribe to that. Also, make sure you download the official Basketball Champions League app and check out the website championsleague.basketball because uh, we'll still have some content going up on the website over the course of the next couple of weeks, even though there aren't any BCL games uh, happening. There's right now an MVP vote that you can go and vote for the MVP for the first half of the regular season. So go check that out on championsleague.basketball. Coming up on the show this week... Our guest is Carl Jungebrand, head of referees for FIBA. He does the Tough Calls article on the website, so we talked to him about a lot of interesting things involving the officials, how they make the calls, some rule changes, and things like that. So stick around at the end of the show to hear our interview with Carl. Before we get to that, Dave and I have a special segment for you this week. We're going to look at some of the best players, best teams from the first half of the regular season and hand out some first half awards. So let's jump in with that. Wyatt, oh, a little fancy behind-the-back dribble, and then the scoop off the glass. Khalif Wyatt behind the back, frees the defense, a little hezzy on Gallon, and then he just lays it off the glass. All right, first up, Dave, we're going to start it off at the very top with the MVP. Who's your MVP for the first half of the regular season? I was kind of torn a little bit on this. Um, I ended up going with Khalif uh, Wyatt from uh, UNEP uh, Halon. Uh, I know he missed a couple of games, and one of the games was was the was the game against Tenerife. Uh, I'm not saying that they would have won that game with Wyatt, but I think it would have been an interesting one for sure. Um, I I just think that you know he he does he does so many things. Uh, you know, against Freeboard, he had the 11 assists. You know, we know that he can score, uh, shooting 47% from three point range, uh, is the, is the, the leading score. Um, and I, I think that he's probably, um, you know, this MVP discussion is always the same thing, you know, who's the most valuable player. And I think that, that he, you know, to their team as well, and not just the best player. And I think he's probably, you know, there's there's Wald, and then there's Atkins, and some other guys there. But I think that he's he's definitely up there. The other guy I was really kind of uh, uh, thinking maybe I could give it to was was Vince Hunter. Uh, you know, you, it's hard to hard to say anything about the last four games. It was a little bit the first three games. I know he did have uh, sixteen and eleven against Jerusalem. Uh, but the sort of subpar games, 
against Nimbrook and, and Bumberg, you know, just were a little bit, um, you know, took a little bit away from, from me. Uh, that doesn't mean that Hunter can't win the season MVP. I think he's, he's well on his way to getting there. I just think for the first half, uh, I think Wyatt uh, would be my pick. Who do you got? Yeah, Wyatt's been phenomenal, and I think you're right that that Halone team, um, you know, they do have some other good players on that team, but when he's in the lineup, it's it's a completely different animal. Uh, I decided to go with Vince Hunter, even though he did have those two games where he was a little bit down. I think his body of work over the first half of the season has been pretty incredible. Uh, he's second to Khalif Wyatt in points per game at 17.7. He's also in the top five with 7.7 rebounds per game, plays good defense, and he has that Ike team at six and one. And I think it's safe to say without Hunter there, uh, you know, this, this team would not be doing nearly as well. He's, he's been a huge part of their success and, you know, part of, part of the reason why they've been able to, uh, to be six and one despite not playing great games for full 40 minutes. He's kind of been bailing them out a little bit in the second half. So I went with Vince Hunter for that one. Next up, let's do best young player. This is best player under 22 years old. I'll start this one off. I was torn between two guys, uh, Tamir Blatt, the point guard for Hapoel Jerusalem. He's averaging 10.6 points per game, 6.4 assists. He's shooting the ball well from the three-point line. Uh, really solid point guard there in Israel. And then the other guy I was trying to decide between was um, Emmanuel Kate from Murcia, 8.3 points, 6.3 rebounds. He's been blocking shots. Uh, he had a, a game against Banvit recently where he had three block shots. So Kate has been awesome, but I think I'll go ahead and pick Blatt because he's playing a larger role with his team, playing about 26 minutes per game. Uh, Dave, you, you kind of specialize in youth basketball, uh, so I'm, I'm interested to hear who you chose for this one. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm writing the homegrown section on the basketball champions league website uh, where we're taking a look at um you know some of the top young players uh and we've already featured a couple of guys uh emmanuel kate was one of them and uh yeah you know i think kate just you know his 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 efficiency around the basket his rebounding has been fantastic you know also defensive presence you mentioned with the block shots um you know there's also alessandro uh, Paola, who we, we featured this week uh, from Virtus Bologna. Um, you also have uh, Shemos Hazer, who's been a little bit more up and down, but has looked really spectacular at times. But I think I have to go with with Tamer Bled as well. Um, just, you know, with a club that has high expectations and him really playing such a major role uh, at that age, uh, you know, you really – you really have to respect what he's what he's what he's done. Yeah, Blatt. It's it's easy to tell that he's a coach's son. Of course, his father David is is one of the best coaches in Europe and has won championships at basically every level he's coached at. Blatt's just got so so much maturity on the court, so much poise for a twenty one year old point guard, and like you said, playing a big role for a team that has really high expectations. That that Bologna team, or uh, sorry, that uh, Jerusalem team. They're also six and one. They're playing really well, and and they can't afford 
afford to have shaky point guard play. So if he wasn't living up to expectations, um, you know, that, that would be a pretty big disappointment. So it's cool that he's able to produce the way he is. Uh, with Payola, I did consider him also. He, he doesn't have the same numbers as a guy like Blatt or Kate, but he's such a fun player to watch. He's a, a really exciting defensive player, pressures the ball, uh, and, and those fans in Bologna just love him. You can tell that. Uh, Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit just about your article on Payola and, and what you learned from talking to him? You know, I, I saw him and, you know, one of the main focuses that I wanted to, to check in with him about was at the under-19 World Cup um, in 2017, when he was an underage player and, and he was playing against NBA guys, you know, now NBA guys, and, uh, you know, he fouled out, didn't score a point, had two turnovers and fouled out in 10 minutes. And, you know, just was was clearly probably one of his worst games, uh, especially at the youth, youth level and just kind of, you know, how he used that as motivation. You know, he made his debut in the, uh, in the, in the Serie A when he was 16, you know, that was his first year with Bologna and got in a game right at the end of the year, which was a really important game as well. So, you know, this is a guy that's already had a lot of um, ups and downs and, and had a lot of uh, experiences uh, both at the national team at the club level as well. You know, them Bologna actually going down that season probably helped him um, a lot because he was able to play you know, um, and he was, you know, 17 years old and he was playing in this, in the second division in, in Italy. And, uh, so yeah, it, it's, um, he's, it, you know, we, 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 we talked about, uh, Kate and, and, and Blatt and those guys are both a couple of years older than, than Poyola. So, so this, to think of what he's doing now, he's still two years younger than the other guys as is, as is, um, as Hazer. Uh, with Bandvit. So yeah, good uh, guy to definitely watch and, and Bologna have a good one on their hands uh, and they've had him for now for, for now, this is his fourth year, fourth season with the club. Yeah. So those are some of the best young players in the league on the other side of the spectrum. Let's go best old player. We don't want to offend anybody, but uh, you know, you, when, once you get into your mid thirties, uh, you're basically a, a senior citizen at the basketball level. So best old player uh, for this, we set the line at 35 years old. Uh, Dave, who'd you got for this one? Um, you know, there's a couple of pretty, pretty common names that you would throw out there. I think probably Amar- Amari Stoudemire, I think might be, um, definitely the biggest name. I, I ended up going with, uh, uh, Thomas, uh, uh, the 36 year old with Neptunus, you know, he's just shown a, uh, a capability of, of really being able to hit big shots and, and play a big role with that team. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a team that really needs him too. You know, I'm not going to say that, that, um, that Jerusalem doesn't need Stoudemire, um, but I, I think that they really need him to open up, uh, you know, some of the things in the paint be with his with his great out, uh, outside shooting. Uh, so I went with uh, Delaney Kaitis, which I think might be a, a surprise to some people, but uh, I think he's uh, definitely been a, a huge player for them. And who do you got? Yeah, I actually also went with Dylan and Akai. Okay, uh, there you go. Let me let me just read off some of his numbers this season. So 16.6 points per game, that's in the top 10. 
He's shooting 63% on twos, 58% from the three-point line, 22 of 38 on threes, which is incredible, 92% from the free-throw line, and he's made 35 straight free-throws in the BCL. So just unbelievable shooting efficiency from the 36-year-old Lithuanian. Um, Amari was the other was the other guy I was considering. He's having a really solid year um, with 11, 11 points, six rebounds per game, and that's in relatively limited minutes. He's only played 20 minutes one time, and the rest of the times he's been between about 13 and 17. He's giving them incredible production when he's in there. So, um, you know, his averages would look a little bit better if he was playing 25, 26 minutes per game. Uh, but yeah, for this one, I wanted to give Dylan and Akita some love. Um, because yeah, he's, he's been awesome this year for the Neptunus team. And, Next category. But, but, uh, oh, sorry. Go there's ahead. actually a quite, there's actually a couple other, you know, pretty solid names is in this group. I mean, you know, 35 is a pretty high bar, but you look at Nico Cesus with Bamberg's 35, Simas Yasaitis is 36 with uh, Lee Cabellas, uh, Marco Popovich is 36 with Fren Labrada, you know, even Florin P- uh, Petrus is uh, 37 with Strasbourg. You know, so there's actually a, a pretty good group of 35 and, and over um, players. So, yeah, it's – you might think, oh, it's a pretty easy category to win. But, you know, you look at the, the quality of those older guys and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a pretty good – it's a pretty good group of players. Yeah, for sure. Seamus Yusaitis is another guy who's over double digits in scoring, shooting well from the field, and he's uh, made a team of the week this season as well. So he's having another good year. Uh, next category, let's go with best defender. For this one, I chose a guy who was a guest on our show a couple weeks ago, Charlon Clough from UCOM Murcia. He is just an absolute dog of a defender in the, on the perimeter. He had that game against Anvil uh, right before we talked to him where he had seven steals in that game. He also uh, did a really good job against Norris Cole when Murcia beat Avellino 72-69. to I think both teams were undefeated at that point if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, and Clove did a great job on Cole. They held him to seven points, two of 12 from the field, five turnovers. And, uh, and Clove was a big part of that defensive effort. Dave, who'd you get for this one? Yeah, I, Clove was, was, um, he was definitely up there as well. The other, the other guy I did end up going up with, uh, was, was Paris Lee, um, the point guard at, at, at Antwerp. Um, just, I, you know, I, 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 the results might not be there, but you know, he's, he's still, uh, you know, it, it's tough to, to, to get around him. And, and, and so I, I, I ended up going with him. Clove is, is, you know, fantastic. So I, there's no crime at all, um, in picking him. And, and, and yeah, Clove is, is one heck of a defender. I ended up going with Lee. Um, but, you know, it's, there's, there's very, very little between the two of them. Yeah, and, and just to give a just to give some love to a couple big guys as well. I was also thinking about Matt Costello from Avellino. Unfortunately, he's been out for a bit with an injury. He's only played four games this season, uh, but he was uh, a, a big part of their defense, uh, just kind of on the back line there, blocking shots. And then also Dayon Kravich from Bologna. Uh, he had he's averaging 1.4 blocks per game, but he also just alters a lot of shots with his length and his activity around the rim. Uh, So those were a couple other guys that I looked at. Uh, Dave, let's move on to the sidelines. Who do you have for the coach of the first half? Uh, You know, it's the only undefeated team left. Um, Stefano Sacrapante, you know, you, you, you know, just look at, 
you know, he's new to the team. You know, it's pretty much an entirely new roster. Um, okay, they're four and four in Italy, but they lost um, they lost against Milano and they lost at Venezia. Uh, you know, this is a guy who you know who has coached uh, the 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 Italian youth national team uh, for many many years. Um, and with the under twenty, he won he won silver at the at the uh, under twenties in two thousand eleven gold and in two thousand thirteen. Last year he he was with uh, Avellino, took them to the FIBA FIBA Europe Cup final. Um, you know, spent three years in Avellino, and now he's with this team. And you know, we're all giving all this love to uh, to Bologna, and you know, it's it's really a new newly assembled team, and and you know, he's the new coach there, and and so I just I went I went with him. Yeah, definitely a good choice with uh, with Bologna being seven and zero. I actually stayed in Group D, and I went with a team that Bologna just beat. I'm choosing Prometheus coach Marcus Giatris, who actually got ejected from that Bologna game, but I don't care. Uh, have to have Prometheus uh, at five and two is a pretty great feat. Um, I think that that. You know, nobody would have predicted that before the season, uh, that Prometheus would be one of the top teams in the league. Um, I think, you know, they're, they're a team that is, uh, the, the whole is more than the sum of their parts. Um, if that's how that expression goes. Uh, but Gatris, I think has done a really fantastic job with that Prometheus team. Let's move on to the all BCL lineup. Uh, Dave, I'll let, I'll let you start this one off. Why don't you just read off your five and then, uh, we'll go from there. Um, yeah, this is actually tougher. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this was a really hard one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have to have Khalif Wyatt, of course, since he's my MVP, um, Vince Hunter. And, uh, I ended up going with Jerry Grant, uh, Augustine Rubit and James Feldine. I know this is without punter, um, who probably some people might even consider MVP. I don't know about that. Um, if there's a guy I would take off, it'd be Feldine for punter. Um, and I think all of those other guys, um, I think, I think that, uh, that, that, yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, I'm, I think you'll probably be close. Um, but I, I just think Feldine, uh, is, is just does a little bit more, um, and, uh, than, than punter. But having Punter on there, man, I mean, come on, this is a is a guy who can really take over games. But but Feldin can as well. So I have Hunter, Wyatt, Grant, Rubit, and Feldin. Who you got? That's a that's a big lineup. Um, yeah, this one it was really tough to narrow this down to five guys. Uh, for point guard, I went with Norris Cole. He was MVP two of the first three weeks of the season. He's slowed down a little bit since then. He's been a little bit up and down, but he is in the top five in both points and assists. Uh, and he's got that Avellino team at five and two. And then on the, on the wings, I went with James Feldine. I think, um, you know, he's, he's another guy who's putting up a lot of points. He had that like 35 point explosion one game, but he's been consistent as well. He's also a guy who plays really good defense and is just a solid all around player. I had him on instead of Khalif Wyatt, just because Wyatt missed those two games. So I, I bumped him from that, but, um, he's a guy who could definitely make this list at the end of the season. Then I also went with Kevin Punter. Uh, 
you know, it, it was tough to to choose anybody from that Bologna team just because they have so many weapons. But Punter is averaging 17.6 points per game. He's kind of like their closer, like you said, in fourth quarters. He's just been dominant, can absolutely take over a game and, and swing the outcome of a game in a very short period of time. And then at the big men spots, I got Vince Hunter, my MVP. And then Augustine Rubit, uh, like you mentioned, has been fantastic for Bomberg. 17 points, 6.4 rebounds, incredible efficiency. He's shooting 72% uh, from two-point range, 82% from the free throw line. Uh, his last two games... He was 11 of 11 at the free throw line and 8 of 10 at the free throw line. So even if you hack him uh, when he's around the rim, he's still going to still gonna be able to punish you. Uh, th- those were the guys that I went with. But, you know, there's probably eight, nine guys th- that have a pretty good argument for that. Uh, Dave, any, any thoughts on that before we move on? No, I mean, we, like I said, I mean, pretty close on, on the, the leaders. And, I, you know, you look at, you know, it's 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 also team, not necessarily teams that are you know the the you know uh, in first place necessarily. You know, alone. Um, uh, you know, you Neptunus, uh, Bomberg. Um, so you know, I I think that that tells you something that that um, you know these these teams are are really, you know, there's there's a lot of good players in this league, and and so picking you know going down to five is is not not an easy task. For sure, yeah. I, I chose Rubit and Hunter over Jere Grant, uh, primarily, I think, because Neptunus is there at three and four, but I mean, it's not like that, that's Jere Grant's fault. Like that, that guy's been a monster. Um, so good to, good to give him some love as well. The next category, similar category, uh, all BCL team, but we're going with domestic players only. So these are players who are from the country that their team is from. Uh, Dave, I'll let you start off this one again. I'm interested to hear who you got over there. Um, I ended up going with Tamir Blatt from Hapo Jerusalem, um, Giannos uh, Lorenzakis from Ike, uh, Rihard Lomas from Ventspils. Uh, Ismail Baku from Antwerp and Ali Traore from Strasbourg. Um, that's that's who I have. Um, I, I do have a couple other names that 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 just missed the cut, but I'll let I'll let maybe maybe one of them. I can imagine one of them made your team, but we'll see. Yeah, so my my list is pretty similar. At the big men spots, I had the same two guys with Traore from Strasbourg and, and Baco from Antwerp. On the perimeter, I went with Camille Lechinsky at point guard. Uh, he was the guest on the show a few weeks ago. He's leading the league in assists by a mile. He's averaging 9.3 assists per game. The next closest is Aaron Johnson from Vince Beals at 7.3. And then uh, I put Thomas Delinenakaitis at the shooting guard spot, and then uh, Vojtek Ruban at small forward, the Czech player who's been lighting it up for Nimbrick. Uh, are any of those guys who you were anticipating? Yeah, I had I had Urban um, uh, Delinenakaitis, and and also Byron was another one that I was you know putting in. I thought maybe as well. Yeah, uh, I I was thinking about Lachinsky as well, but I I kind of like Lauren Sakis's, uh scoring ability i know that's you know i know that lachinsky's kind of a you know an admitted pass first point guard but i I did like that that lauren sakis has has really come up big at the offensive scoring and and so that's why i gave him the nod 
Yeah, a couple other guys I considered were uh, Pietro Eridori for Bologna, who's had some big scoring games, uh, but maybe, maybe hasn't yeah. quite had the consistency of some of these other guys. Uh, Byron was another one that I considered. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of great domestic players out there as well. Uh, let's see. Next category. Let's go before we get to the, before we get to the title contenders, let's go with the most disappointing team and then the most, uh, surprising team on a positive note. So, uh, Dave, I'll start this one off for disappointing team. I've got Le Mans, the French champions. Uh, they're two and five this season. Four of those five losses are by double digits. They're in a tough group in Group A with Morcia, Avellino. Uh, we know Ludwigsburg's dangerous. Anvil is a is a tough team from Poland. Uh, but I really expected better from this Le Mans team. Uh, you know, it, just only two and five. That's understandable, but to get blown out in in multiple games, I think, is pretty surprising from the French champions. Uh, so, who who do you have for most disappointing? I ended up going I, – I would have probably said Ludwigsburg. Um, you know, they ended up starting 0-5, and if they didn't grab those last two victories, they would have probably been your choice as well. Um, but I ended up going with Besiktas. Uh, you know, you look at Dusko Ivanovic, uh, you know, just a, a huge name in, in the coaching business. You know, you look at some of the, the players uh, that they have on board – and for for them to be, you know, really struggling right now, uh, I, I think that's probably the the the, the biggest surprise for me. I didn't I didn't think they'd be great, uh, but I I did think that they would be. I think that I thought that they would be better than three and four, and I I I mean they're 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 not out of the competition for the playoffs. I just thought that they would be better than than what they are. You know, they haven't had they they've they've you know struggled in some some games where they shouldn't have struggled. And I just think that that this is a, a team that's better than than what their record shows, and also what they've shown on the court. So that's what I've gone with with uh, Besiktas. Yeah, yeah, they were another another team that I was considering as well. Um, they they do have three wins, but the most recent ones over Ostend and then Petrol Olympia aren't aren't exactly the most impressive victories. Um, so yeah, it's been a, been a disappointing year for Besiktas. We'll see if they can turn it around in the second half of the season. On the positive side, uh, we'll go with most surprising team uh, from a from a positive standpoint. Dave, who did you pick for this one? I went Parmatheus Patras, um, you know, five and two in second place. And man, you, you have to think that they are, you know, pretty much set. I mean, I know we we still have a long way to go to the playoffs, but I think that they are, if they continue to at least play, let's say what, I don't know, 90% of what they've been playing, um, I, you know, I think they're going to be able to, to stay in that top four, you know, with two game leads over, over, uh, Bayreuth, Besiktas, and Neptunas. Um, it's kind of hard for me to think that that you know that three teams will uh, will finish a- uh, ahead of them. So, and and nobody really had them necessarily on on the radar. Yeah, for sure. I went with Prometheus as well. Like you said, not a not a team that people were were really excited about going into the season. Um, so yeah, definitely surprising to see them at five and two. And then another team, uh, that I think has been pretty surprising five and two is, uh, Hapoel Holon. They already surpassed their win total from last season when they were three and 11. Yeah. Um, yeah. like we've said 
several times. Khalif Wyatt has been phenomenal. Corey Walden's been great. Dorian Atkins is, is, is been solid. So they've, they've got a good team there. TJ Klein as well. Uh, so Halone is, is another team that I would throw into that mix. But for me, it's, it's Prometheus as well. Uh, let's move on to, we, we covered this a little bit last week, uh, but we'll do it again quickly just for the, for the sake of this. Dave, who's your team that's currently in the top four of their group that you think will miss the playoffs? Um, I'm going to say, <laughs> I have to go with what I said last week and it's Banvit. I think their road schedule, uh, is going to be really tough. You know, they, they have five road games and just two games at home. Uh, and they're, they're only, they're only one game ahead of three teams, um, that are three and four. And that goes all the way down to sixth place. And then you have Ludwigsburg who we know what they can do. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, the first game is against Banvit out of the break. And, uh, you know, that I know it's, it's kind of poking the bear, like I said last week. And, uh, so and and, but realistically, I would probably say, uh, Lee Cabellus, uh, not making it through group C that I, I could imagine that, um, that Antwerp goes through, but to stay with consistency from last week, I'll, I'll go bandwidth. I, I don't have necessarily a problem with, 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 with saying that I, there's, there's arguments there that, that, um, uh, that are, that are decent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think Banvit will make it, but like you, uh, like you mentioned before, you know, they're, they're struggling in the Turkish league as well. So they haven't been overly impressive this season. Uh, for my choice, I did pick Antwerp jumping ahead of Leek Cabellus there in group C. I'm a big fan of, of the young guys on that Antwerp team. Jay Sean Tate, Paris Lee, Ismail Bako. Uh, I, I think they'll learn from some of their, some of their mistakes in the first half of this season and apply that to the second half in advance. Um, an, another team that I could see jumping into the playoff race, uh, is, uh, Neptunus down in group D. They currently have the same record as Bayreuth, who's in the playoff uh picture as of right now but neptunus have been really solid um so I, I i wouldn't be surprised if they get in as well and of course there's a lot of teams that are that are really close at, at either four and three three and four um in in kind of the middle of their group with a lot of basketball left to be played so you know too too early to count out most of these teams for sure dave let's uh let's jump now to the top of the the top of the league we're going to power rank the top four title contenders uh, I'll start off with this one. First, I got Virtus Bologna at seven and zero. Hard to hard to not choose them as the undefeated team who have just looked so impressive in the first half of the season. We've mentioned it before. So many weapons on this team from Kevin Punter, Tony Taylor, Eridori, Amathem Bai, and then you've got the big guys inside with Brian Quale and um, and Dejan Kravic. Uh, th- this is a team that's just absolutely loaded top to bottom. So I'm really excited about Bologna. Right behind them, I've got Hapoel Jerusalem, who I think have looked fantastic this year. Another really balanced team with a lot of athleticism. And then for my third and fourth teams, I've got Murcia and Avellino, both coming out of Group A. Uh, Dave, do you have any any differences from those four? Uh, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> I guess I do. Um, so so you had you had uh, Bologna, Jerusalem. Murcia and Avellino. Murcia and Avellino. Okay. Um, I I actually have uh, Virtus Bologna as number one. And I know this is probably going to surprise you, but I ended up going with Ike <laughs> as number two. Uh, 
um, I know I've, I've talked a lot about them not really convincing me so far, but I mean, you know, they, they have one of the things that you have to, you know, you do have to say about them. They have been able to win tight games. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we had Vince Hunter on and, and, and we, we know that these are very good players. And so I think that they're, you know, they're only going to get better. And so, it's, and they're not going to have to rely on Hunter necessarily to, to finish games, but they're going to have other, other players as well. And you have to imagine maybe they bring in somebody else uh, as a weapon that they need. Um, and then Jerusalem, I had Jerusalem next. Uh, and then I ended up going with 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 uh, Mercia. I was thinking about Strasbourg, um, which I know not necessarily from the record, but um, and 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 with 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 Venezia, I kind of had a, a, I had a little bit of a problem with their last two games where they lost at home to Nanterre and then they needed overtime to beat to beat Fribourg. Yeah, I, I don't trust Venezia. But you had Avellino in there? Yeah, I did. I think I think you know they've been. A- I, I mean, I, I know they're missing. I know they're missing. I know they're missing um, um, Costello those last couple of games. But I, I don't know. I don't, I don't. I trust them probably even less than I than I trust uh, Vanessa. Yeah, I don't know. I just I like Avellino. I think uh, I think you know they they have a lot of scoring on the team. I think when Costello comes back, that's going to solve a lot of their defensive issues. They did also just lose Demetrius Nichols for about six weeks, so that's so that's, yeah, that's gonna, so that's going to yeah. hurt them. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe Caleb Green is able to step up. He's been, I think, a little bit disappointing this season, um, at least in terms of some of his shooting percentages. Uh, but I think maybe he could step up. But they're they're another team I think that has just a lot of firepower, and I just I just don't think they've been trying as hard as they're capable of like I think that's one of the reasons why they've had so many close games is you know I just feel like they're not quite putting in enough effort but once it gets to playoff time I think we'll we'll see them flip that switch a little bit and uh and when it comes down to it I I think you know Norris Cole he's probably going to be able to to score on just about anybody so I I like Avellino um more than Venezia and uh who who was what was the fourth team oh Ike Ike was Ike was a tough omission for me I almost put Ike in there um, Bomberg, I think also have a pretty good case, even though they've been a little bit disappointing. I think they're only four and three, uh, but they're, they're starting to come together a little bit. They have Rubit, Tyrese Rice can take over a game. Uh, so Bomberg's up there. And then Tenerife is another team that was in the conversation for me. Um, you know, they were un- undefeated until the last last game of the regular season um but you you really you got to me with that argument last week that you made uh when you said that Tenerife wouldn't make the final four mainly because they lack uh, a go-to scorer and just maybe just kind of some nastiness and and uh they, they don't have a dog is is the way I think you phrased it yeah yeah that's yeah I I I don't have them I mean like I said I mean I I, I listed Strasbourg and Mercia even ahead of them and uh, I would, I'd probably, I would definitely put Avellino ahead of them as well. Um, I mean, for me, Nanterre, uh, for me, Tenerife is, is, you know, as far as title contenders, you know, they're, they're, the question I always have is, is, you know, who, if somebody, if they're going to, they're in a real dog fight, what's going to happen, you know, and, uh, Avellino just barely beat Le Mans, um, you know, and, and they ended up losing the dogfight to Mercia. I think they were both undefeated at that time it was in Spain, but, you know, but, you know, losing at home to, to Ventspils, you know, that's a, um, that's a tough one to, that's a tough one to take. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
it's all fun to talk about it and and uh you know we get to see another seven weeks of uh of these guys of these teams and 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 we'll see probably at the end of uh at the end of the regular season we'll go through this the well the bracket and we'll be able to do it and so but uh yeah i mean it's interesting to have evelina i mean there the talent is there the talent is there just uh uh whether or not the execution comes down you know is there at the end yeah, we'll we'll see how it shakes out. One thing that uh, this little exercise did do is it just made me realize yet again just how loaded this league is at the top. Like there are some really good teams. Uh, it, it was tough to narrow this down to four. Um, so just to just to reiterate the point there. So I have Bologna, Jerusalem, Morcia, and Avellino. Dave has Bologna. Ike, Jerusalem, and Morcia. So only one difference there at the top. Uh, but there's there's seven, eight, maybe nine teams who we could see, you know, kind of getting into that mix. So we'll just have to see how the how the rest of the season shakes out. And matchups are going to be really important when we talk about um, the round of sixteen and then the quarterfinals because some of these teams, uh, they you know, they might be better throughout the course of the regular season. But if you draw a tough matchup, maybe you come up against a high scoring Halone team or something like that. Uh, you you could get knocked out earlier than expected. Let's move on, Dave. I like this. Uh, this was one of my favorite categories. Uh, your life is on the line. You need one player in the BCL to go get you a bucket to save your life. Who are you choosing? Yeah, I, I ended up with going going with Kevin Punter. Um, just you know, I, I, if he's hot, obviously he can't be stopped, as we've seen. Uh, but I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, the little trash talk, you know, you know that he's uh, able to throw it down when it counts. And so I went with the, uh, I went with, um, I went with Hunter, uh, Punter. Um, let's see, who do you got? Yeah, I I went with Punter as well, just because uh, the the showmanship and the uh, you know not not being afraid of the moment. Mm-hmm. I think if if he knew that he was going to save somebody's life, I think he would take that pretty seriously. And uh, <laughs> and he's you know he's got that fadeaway that's just impossible to block. Even though he's only about six foot three, but he fades away on that jump shot. It's just impossible to defend. Um, just some numbers from him. He's averaging seventeen point six points per game. 53% from the field, uh, 56% on twos, about 49% from the three-point line. Uh, so so Punter was my choice as well, but the other guy I was considering was Khalif Wyatt, who is the league's leading scorer uh, this season at 22.8 points per game. He's shooting 52% inside the arc, 47% behind it. So I think you, uh, you couldn't couldn't really go wrong with either of those two guys. I think you'd think you'd end up okay. Still be alive. Um, let's see going through the list we just have a couple more categories uh dave this one uh i'm i'm interested to see who you got for this one let's go with best hair um yeah i mean there's a couple of interesting ones in there for sure um i ended up with i ended up going with um charles yana uh uh from from ike uh, just the combination of the man bun and the beard. Um, uh, as a as a beard wearer myself, nothing to the extent of 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 uh, of his. Um, I, you know, it's a uh, okay. I mean, I, you know, I think you mentioned even on the first show. It's it's you know, it's it's uh, the Tommy, uh, the Tommy's look. But uh, definitely, I I think I probably went with with him because uh, there's the combination of beard and and the man bun. 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's a that's a good choice. Uh, I went I went with a three way tie on this one. I like the I like the dreadlocked point guards, and we got some really good ones in the BCL. Paris Lee, Kendrick Perry, Corey Walden, all of those guys rock the dreadlocks are and are incredibly good players. Walden has some some colors in it too, if not not mistaken, right? Uh, I think so. I'll have to. I'll have to double check. We'll uh, we'll 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 check that one out. Um, but yeah. But even even Stoudemire is good. You know, I mean, I, saw, I had a chance to see him see him live, and and yeah, that, that, that's a good look too. I mean, you know, as far as dreads, you know, you had the, the really long ones with Charles Jackson as well. Uh, you have um, uh, Baco uh, from from Antwerp. You know, he's got the he's got some pretty big hair too. So yeah, there, there's 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 definitely some hair hair game going on in, in the league. Yeah, and on a similar note, so we'll uh, wrap this up. The last two categories, Dave, the most fun team to watch and the most fun player to watch. I'll let you start off this one. Why don't you give us your team and your player? Uh, I'll start with the player, and that is Kendrick Perry from Nizhny Novgorod. I just, I just really like his game, and you know, and. I really wish he hadn't had missed the amount of time that he did so that, uh, you know, maybe even Disney would be higher than that. Uh, but you know, he, he's got a cool look going, um, you know, drives to the basket, you know, plays, plays a great point guard and, and just, um, you know, Kaiser Penguin, great nickname. Uh, I just really enjoy watching, uh, enjoy watching him. Um, and uh, I, for team, I'll, you know, I'll probably, I think I'll probably end up saying Bologna. Um, I, I, I like, you know, I like guys that, you know, could take over games and punters there. And, you know, Kvali is a little bit of an underrated guy, I think, in some circles as well. And, you know, you might not, you know, think of him with all the other, you know, big names like, but, but Taylor and, and, uh, uh, Kravich and, and, uh, Ari Dore, you know, it's just fun watching those guys play. And then you have a young kid that comes in and all, you know, all he cares about is defense, which is cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so I'll pick them. Uh, I mean, I know there's, there's, there's loads of teams that are fun to, to watch, you know, Jerusalem with all their athleticism and getting up and down, um, you know, hello and running and running and gunning and scoring loads of points. And so who do you got? Yeah, I went with, I went with Jerusalem for my most fun team to watch. I love the way they play with all of their athletes above the rim. Uh, Josh Owens and Feldine Butler, these guys throwing down dunks. Stoudemire, of course. Uh, I love the pick and roll play with Tamir Blatt. I really like Jacobin Brown as just a, a big stout uh, point guard who who can play make, but he can also defend guys in the post. Um, I, I'm a big fan of that Hapoel Jerusalem team, and we've uh, also got to mention on the website Deacon Lloyd Smith wrote a great article this week about Hapoel Jerusalem assistant coach Ryan Panone. So definitely go to championsleague.basketball to check out that article. Talks about uh, the life of an assistant coach, some of the crazy hours that these guys work. It's it's really unbelievable how much time they put in uh, behind the scenes. And then it was it was cool to see some of the specific rebounding drills that Ryan uh, does with his players, uh, with uh, Tayshawn Thomas and Josh Owens, that has these guys just dominating teams on the glass this season. So go check that out on championsleague.basketball and check out Hapoel Jerusalem any chance you get because that's an incredibly fun team to watch. And for my most fun player, I went with punter. I had to. Just the, the scoring ability, the trash talking, 
uh, the goatee, he, he's got it all going right now. And, and to see him in that Bologna environment where the fans are just absolutely insane, just going nuts. He's the perfect player for that setting. Uh, so it's, it's just must see TV anytime Kevin Punter and Virtus Bologna are playing. So I think that'll do it for the awards for the first half of the regular season. Next week, uh, we'll have some breakdowns of the FIBA World Cup qualifying window. Uh, Those games are going to be happening over the next couple days. So Dave and I will be back next week to break those down. And coming up next on the show, we'll have our interview with Carl Jungebrand, head of referees for FIBA. Dave and I will join you on the other side of the interview, so stick around for that. I think it's a bit harsh to call it unsportsmanlike. And I'm sure Coach Vidoretta does as well, especially in this situation. But you know what? Uh, the referee has to call what he sees, and he deemed that to be unsportsmanlike. So on the show this week, we have Carl Jungebrun, the head of refereeing for FIBA. Uh, Carl, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Um, Carl, we have a uh, a new segment on the, on the, the website. It's called Head... Uh, tough calls and you're one of the the people who are in charge of that we'll go into depth uh, a little bit later but uh, maybe just to introduce yourself to the to the list to the listeners maybe you can you describe your your job and and maybe what are your primary duties uh and goals yeah thank you Dave. uh so my job is basically to oversee the refereeing in the fiba competition all over the world uh the team who is working with me it's about 12 people in in all regions in the FIBA regions and uh and we have a headquarter we have about five people and what we try to do is to have a operational plan for all the referee activities overseeing the competitions the preparation of the referees and also licensing of the referees yeah, Carl, I was wondering, um, did you play the game when you were growing up? And then uh, at, at what point did you become involved in officiating? Yeah, I started, you know, that's the normal story. I started as a mini basket and uh, I used to play seriously until I was 19 years old. I started to refereeing when I was 14, very young. And, you know, I was never thinking I'm going to be a referee, but... Uh, then step by step, it uh, it started to be more interesting and uh, challenging myself, basically. And in the age of 20, I became a FIBA referee. And then I was working for FIBA 28 years. And I think to be a player or a coach, it's the key point that you can understand the game nowadays and be be the referee. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you glad you brought that up. Uh I was I was also wondering just kind of in general, what are some of the qualities maybe both mental and physical that a good referee needs to have? I think, you know, something what what we call is a standard. It is like having a two legs that you can run. It's basically you need to have a good physical uh condition because it's going to help you to make the make the uh, uh, good decisions. Just to give you some facts that we studied the past four years and referees are running about five, 5.5 kilometers per game. And uh, the top speed is as, as high as 25 kilometers per hour. Wow. It, it, it's a tough job physically. 
Yeah, because you're getting back. You, you know, those guys are having to get back on on fast breaks that are they're pretty quick. You know, these yeah. athletes are getting better yeah. and better, and the referees. And do they do they um they can go until they're fifty? Is that correct, or has that changed in the last few years? Yeah. No, it's we we still have the the age limit for the international referee, which is fifty. And uh, and uh, to be, to be honest, if you ask my personal opinion, it really fits for us. Ma- mainly because of the physic physicalness of it, the 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 stress uh, of going back and forth. Uh, not only the physical, it's also the mental. You know, to be honest, I've been in business for thirty years or thirty five years actually, and during that time, I have seen the guys who are going over fifty that you might say, oh. We really want to keep him because he's in the in the peak of his career. Because the fact is that uh, after 45, the people start going down step by step. Um, be, before we 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 go too much further, every season um, has a change or two regarding um, refereeing. Uh, what were some of the biggest changes from last season to to this one? Uh, I would say, of course, we changed the rules. That's the one thing, but that's mainly the technical thing, basically. But I would say the couple, two, three years, the biggest change has been that it's not enough that you know the rules. You have to know the game. So we have started to talk about the game instead of the rules. And I think that's the biggest achievement we've been able to to have since uh, five, six years. And, and personally, I have learned so much about the game and, and I'm being around. And, and what rules have been changed then since last season to this season? Uh, technical foul rule. Uh, then we have also the shot clock rule was changed a little bit and a timeout rule. So there are some, actually, it was not the big change for the game, but it was a big change for the rule book. Um, one, one of the touchy subjects right now, it seems to be in the game, is is sort of the direct foul at the end of the game to kind of send the opposing team to the free throw line. Um, what have been clubs been told uh, about the unsportsmanlike fouls in general, and then maybe in specifically regarding the fouls late in game? Because you almost have a feel, feeling like these guys have to learn how to foul properly, if you will. Listen, I, I think it's it's a, it's a quite simple thing because it's about you have to play basketball to the end of the game, and 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 whenever you want to foul or you you don't want to foul, but you still have to play the game, and you need to have uh, actions which are kind of the basketball nature actions, and uh, this is the we've been very uh, working closely with the NBA. And it's the same problem also there. It was a challenge because they said the game doesn't look anymore like basketball in the end of the game. And this is, this is the same thing with us. Whenever you don't play the, directly the ball, uh, you know, with, with the spirit of the basketball, then this is some, something you should not do. Yeah, a couple of years ago, the game really was 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 quite a bit different. You had a lot of deliberate foul, fouls at half court to to stop the fast break. Um, the FIBA referee commission quickly changed that and decided to in that case in those cases then give um, unsportsmanlike fouls. 
uh, and we've seen a decrease in that now. Um, maybe just talk about how satisfied you and the the refereeing leaders are in the game about that development regarding the uh, sort of these fouls to stop the fast break. Yeah, I think you know when this was an issue first time. It was it was about fifteen years ago, and in that time we were talking about the fast break. Then we changed the rule, and the fast break was kind of the cover, and 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 the dynamic of the game was uh, was secured. But then, as the evolution of the game was started to happen, the steam start not to stop the fast break, but the transition. So this is where ever there was three against the three or four against three, the, the team just stopped the game by making a foul in um, in the transition. And this was really not good for the image of the game and not nothing to do with the refereeing, but everybody in the game, including TV, spectators, players, coaches, they all said, we hate this. And then they said, but we have to do it because the other ones are doing it. Basically, and this is where we changed the rule when we brought something what we call to uh, to have an unsportsmanlike foul if you create an unnecessary contact in the transition. And if you look the game today, it has changed completely. It's actually a dynamic transition, and the the players are actually making defense, not just to make a foul. Yeah, I I think one of the other noticeable differences over the past couple of years um, is now that you'll see during the game, the referees are going over to the scorer's table to review a play. And while I I think that's a good idea in a, in a lot of cases to make sure the call is correct, I think sometimes it can disrupt the flow of the game and, and the, the review process can be a bit lengthy. I was just wondering, what instructions have you given to the referees in terms of either the length of the review or or maybe is there a maximum number of times that they can go and review a play? Actually, there is... Um, uh, let's put it this way. The challenge of the review is not the rules. The, uh, the challenge is the technical setup and also the, the knowledge of the players how to make the review. So we're working with both of those. And of course, the technical setup, it's... It's mainly something to do with the competition, not with the referee operations, because then we have the setup we have. Uh, and But generally, if we have our main competitions, uh, the review, when we have what we call the fully professional technical setup for the review, the one review, it's approximately, it's about 10 to 15 seconds. So it's not a lot. But but then, like in the BCL, where we have what we call the limited edition of the review, uh, then the, the problem might be that we don't have the right angle immediately. And that's what takes a little bit time. So this is then the cooperation between the Obi-Wan, the, the TV broadcasting, and the referee. And it's not always the same language. So uh, I totally agree that the reviews are sometimes uh, too long, but but... In the other end of the, the road is that you need to have the correct decision. And, and, uh, and because there is no room for the errors anymore when you have the review, when you have a conclusive uh, review. You can also have a, what we call the inconclusive review, and then uh, you have to stay with your initial decision because you don't see the play. So 
just to understand correctly, there are two different processes of, of reviewing between, let's say, national team games, FIBA games, and then also the BCL games. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it, it's about it's about the technical setup. That's what it is. Meaning, um, you should maybe ask more about from the TV, but it, it it's 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 a, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit uh, limited in what comes to the uh, how many angles you have, okay. how fast you will have the angles, and 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 so on, so. Uh, so, so camera work basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. So just a review on the review. So what what instances are are referees allowed to go to the replay and then maybe which ones they're not allowed to? If any. Uh yeah, there are three different categories. One is what we call any time of the game, the second is last 2 minutes of the game, and then the third one is the end of the the quarter or the end of the game. And the end of the game you can go and review if the bus or if the ball was released before uh, the the horn came out or the the red light came out. So this is basically you are checking if the basket is valid or not, or if the foul was called the same time if this foul was before the the red light, the end of the quarter. Basically, that's the one case. The second one with the last two minutes, uh, the main things what we review are out of the bounds, who touched the last, if you have an inconclusive out of bounds. And the second is the goaltending. And if, if the goaltending is called, then you can go and check if this goaltending was correct or not. And then any time of the game, uh, then we have the main things what we review are two or three point basket, two or three point uh, play if you have a foul, so the number of the free throws, that should be awarded. Then uh, you have a if you have a fight or similar situation, you can review the play and see what players were involved and and uh, what were the, the actions by the players. And then the last one is the wrong free throw shooter, and you can identify that. So that's basically the the key place that we're gonna review. Switching topics a little bit, um, I was wondering what a, what advice do you give to referees in environments uh, like, for example, a couple of weeks ago, Bologna versus Strasbourg, uh, where the arena was really loud and people in the crowd, I think, had whistles, and it was it was probably so loud that even players couldn't hear some of the referees' whistles. Uh, what, what advice do you give to referees in in situations like that, where the environment is just you know very loud and kind of chaotic almost? I mean. <laughs> There is not like a specific advice. This is something that you have to control your environment in, in a one way. Of course, as uh, as being on the court, I can tell you that you're just focusing for the game. You don't actually hear this other noise which is coming from the outside. It's kind of the background noise. And, uh, and uh, that's the one thing. When you have a whistle in the stands, which is very unfortunate, because that's the only time when it's really might disturb the game because player might stop playing or or uh, something else might happen. That's the thing that we have to deal with uh, basically with the home team and uh, then asking the people, whoever have the whistle, not to use it. And, and nine out of ten, it works well. 
Yeah, yeah. Some something else I was interested in um, with international competitions like the FIBA tournaments and like the Basketball Champions League. Oftentimes, we have referees who are from different countries and and different cultures and who maybe uh, speak different languages. I I was just wondering is is it challenging to make sure that the group of referees is always kind of on the same page? Uh, of course, it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge with any three individuals, even coming from the same country. But uh, first of all, they all speak English. So that's, that's our professional language. Uh, of course, they have, might have a little bit different culture, but now we have more and more training programs when we are actually bringing the referees to the same page. And, and we, have, we have the saying, which is like, that you have only one color. And, you know, we always say, whatever you think the color is, it's a red or it's a black. If we say it's a black, it's not about the individual uh, decisions or opinions. It's about because we're looking for the consistency and, and otherwise we cannot serve the players and the teams properly. Yeah, and then I think one thing that fans are definitely paranoid about and, and sometimes even the clubs themselves is uh, is this thought that maybe a particular referee is biased against their team. Um, I, I was just wondering, how does FIBA you know, ensure the integrity of the referees? Uh, just to have the, the, the right people. This is, this is about the characteristics of the people. And, and to be honest, like I said, I've been 35 years in the business. I have not seen uh, biased referees. I have seen the referees with mistakes. And, and this is, I always said, the beauty is in the eyes of the, those people who are looking at the situations. And, uh, and, and how we try to analyze everything is the, based on the facts and, and not about the feelings. Uh, something that somebody says, I don't like this referee, that's not the question on the table. The table is how many mistakes the referees made and what type of the mistakes. This we can analyze because they are actually facts. Or the good decisions. Yeah, and, and and bringing that up, um, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on was this this new tough call segment on the on the the website uh, where uh, a selection of plays, a uh, selection of calls from referees are chosen and broken down. Um, maybe maybe just what, what were some of your thoughts when the when the BCL came to you with with this idea. Uh, I think, uh, first of all, I have, to cre- I have to give a big credit for, for the people who came up with the idea. Uh, we never have a problem to explain to people that the referees make a mistake. It's part of our job, and it's, gonna, it's never going away. So uh, it's not an issue to tell somebody there is a wrong decision uh, or the correct decision. And I think it's a very interesting concept for several reasons. Why? Because we can show the people, the fans, the interesting place, which happens very rarely. It's kind of the education of the rules and the game. The second, we can maybe show the controversy decisions, uh, which were the people were talking about after the game. We can explain if this decision was correct or incorrect. And uh, that's basically the whole concept for, for uh, and also to explain that the referees are human beings. They made the mistakes. And some of the margins in the calls, if this is correct, incorrect, are so small that 
it's almost impossible to have the in, uh, the consistency every time. Not only so small, but also the, that it goes so quickly as well. Um, maybe maybe just go about the actual process how this takes place. How how are the plays selected for the segment, the tough call segment, and then who breaks them down and and you know, basically just talk about the process of getting the the, the play selected to what the what the readers read on the website. Okay, so first of all, we have what we call the monitoring team, and they watch all the BCL games uh, uh, alive, but through the 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 video. So, kind of the we don't have the people on site. We have the people online watching the games, and and they are first of all monitoring the referee's performance. Then one of the things what they do, they see the interesting play, they tag it, and they say, that might be a good candidate for the tough calls. And then with this group, uh, we are review all the play situations normally in the next day. And, and then end of the day, we, ha- we started from 25, and then we came up to five to six or seven. And, and then we said, these are the interesting play situations and sometimes we have a good situation, but the footage is so inconclusive that it doesn't make sense to put it for the tough call. So we have also this limitation time to time. Then we break down the, the play and we, we, maybe, uh, we, we make the script, and that's the process. And when you say we, who is, who is that doing that? So there is the monitoring team. They, they do, when we... When we, uh, when we review the clips, this is where we basically discuss about the different criteria and the details and so on and so. And then the end of the day, because uh, we want to have the consistency, then I will review the, the final clips just to make sure that we have the consistency for the, for the previous clips. Okay, and... and um... What kind of consequences are there, if any? If 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 the the um, what kind of consequences are there, if any? If you or the review group determine that one of the tough calls is in fact wrong, is there any sort of action or taken? Uh, not not for the single calls, but like uh, when we review the performance of the referee, then we created the the report for the BCL, okay. who is then actually assigning the referees and so we who monitor the games we are not signing the referees and i think that's very important for the concept so we we don't try to justify the performance of the referees according the the assignments what what might happen time to time okay fantastic um those articles are great and and i really think they help the fans understand the game better and the rules better and and like you said even just give a little bit of uh you know these guys are really just human beings and uh, and and just doing their job and it's it's really it's a really tough job sometimes i'm you know when when i see calls i really think sometimes man i'm i'm glad i don't have to make that decision in front of you know whatever you know 8000 people who are cheer, you know you know rooting against you and everything else um article comes up every friday carl jungerbrand thank you for coming on the head of refereeing for FIBA. Thanks for taking the time. And, and, uh, I think I speak for a lot of people when, when I say, uh, I really enjoy the, the review of these tough, tough calls. So thanks a lot. 
No problem. You know, whatever we do, there's still going to be the mistake by the referees, and that's part of the game. It's my pleasure to be with you guys. All right. Thanks again to Carl Jungebrand, head of referees for FIBA, for joining us on the podcast. Dave, what did you think about what Carl had to say? You know, I, I was I was really happy that that he was excited about this project too because I think it's you know from from really everybody that I've talked to uh, they all seem pretty cool with it and they they think that it's 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 a uh, it's a good chance for you know everyday Joe basketball uh, fan to to kind of get an idea of of uh, first of all the rules you know, the actual rules that, um, that, that are in place. Um, and then also the, the, you know, to break down the play. Uh, and so I think, I think it was really, I think it was a really good idea by the basketball champions league to, 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 to bring it up as a possibility. And then for Jung Braun to say, yeah, let's go for it. Um, uh, because, you know, I mean, this is the referees, you know, they're kind of out there, you know, and saying, you know, this is a mistake that the referee actually did, a, you know, you know, did make the mistake. And so, uh, but they have the head of referees go and say, you know what, this is a good idea. You know, it's also to show these guys are just humans. Uh, I, I really like the idea. And, and, and so it was, uh, I'm really happy that they, um, that the Basketball Champions League has, has brought this on. Yeah, yeah. It's been a really cool addition to the website. So make sure you check out the Tough Calls article on championsleague.basketball. Those come out every week. And like you said, really informative. Uh, just a, a good reminder of some of the rules and, and I've definitely learned some things checking that out. And then, like you said, you know, a good, a good reminder that these guys are human. You know, no, no player shoots a hundred percent from the field. Uh, no referee is going to get a hundred percent of the calls right. You know, mis- mistakes happen. Uh, but it's very cool that the BCL is owning up to some of the mistakes and, and being transparent and talking about, you know, what can be done better in the future, uh, to, to try to avoid that. But, you know, mistakes are going to happen. It's part of the game, but I, th- I think the Tough Calls segment has definitely been a great addition to the website. So that'll do it for this week's episode. Thanks again to our guest, Carl Jungebrand, head of refereeing for FIBA. Dave and I will be back next week to talk about some of the World Cup qualifying games and preview a great game day eight coming up in the Basketball Champions League. So for Dave Hein out in Germany, my name is Austin Green, and this has been BCL Coast to Coast. <laughs>